Good morning. Uh, I am not Michael Fueling. We are blessed with a great Bible teacher and him, and I am not him. So just to get that fair warning out there, also, um, uh, this is uh, the first time I've preached. So I am a rookie at this. Now let me clarify, this is the first time preaching here. When I brought the opportunity home and shared it with my uh, family, my beautiful and talented 20-year-old daughter said, Gee, Dad, you've been preaching to me all my life. Why don't you preach it? <laughs> so apparently I do have a lot of experience in this. Those are my credentials, that and the fact that I love Jesus and I have a voice. So I'm just thrilled to be here this morning to uh, take us into Ephesians 2. We have spent six weeks in Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, just looking at how blessed we are by God's grace and how much he has given us. Uh, through those blessings. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 3 in particular, takes a hard right turn. It gets pretty serious at that point. This is a topic that uh, I know fairly well. And I'm going to share um, a story of a conversation that I had about 20, 25 years ago in which I realized I didn't understand what we're uh, going to be talking about this morning. And I've come a long way in those 20, 25 years. Albert Einstein my uh, younger daughter loves to find quotes from favorite people, or famous people, excuse me. And she puts them up on marker boards throughout her house. And she got this one from Albert Einstein. He's quoted uh, as saying, any fool can know, the point is to understand. Any fool can know, the point is to understand. So my prayer for us this morning is that we go a little bit farther away from just knowing and a little deeper into understanding. These are big topics. Uh, it's a big uh, task in that. But let me take you back to this conversation 20, 25 years ago. Uh, it was between me and a ministry lead in the church that I was attending at the time. And um, he didn't know me. I didn't know him. It's, so it was a get-to-know-you get type conversation. Uh, I was being considered maybe for a, a half-step up in leadership at the time. So he just kind of wanted to uh, get to know me. So we were talking about, uh, you know, my faith, right? He was asking me questions about, you know, do you love the Lord Jesus, right? And I love the Lord Jesus, accept him my Savior, got all these things right. You know, just talking that through and knowing him. Then he went to, so what have you been doing for the Lord? How have you been serving him? And I was talking about my good works. I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I love doing this and God has gifted me in this and I can do this and I want to be a part of this ministry because I want to do that. Then he asked this question. How secure are you in, in your future in heaven? How confident are you that you're going to heaven? And my answer was 80 to 90%. That's dead wrong. A little flag went up in my head. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know these things. I, I know that God saved me. Why did I just say 80 to 90%? It took me a while to figure it out. But the Lord led me through uh, that whole conversation. And it was because I was thinking about my good works. I have so many more good works to do. And I was putting that in my salvation. Yeah, I'm saved by God, but also my good works. And those combine for that. And that's dead wrong. And that's what we're going to be getting into in this uh, passage. Before we jump into the passage, i got to tell you, I believe also in the fact that uh, everybody loves a short preacher. <laughs> I was really fast in the earlier service. If you're taking notes, you're probably going to have to go fast because I love to go fast. 
warning given. I'll give you the, the uh, notes afterwards if you need them. Let's go to Ephesians uh, 2, chapter 1. Uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. As you're getting there in your Bibles, um, just to remind you, this is a uh, letter written by Paul to the believers in Ephesus, right? These are Christians that this was written to. So I've highlighted a few words. I'm going to read through it, but I, I want you to know, and I want to stress from the front end of this conversation, this is past tense, right? Paul is saying this is who you were as a Christian. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is who you were. If you've not yet accepted Christ, this is who you were and it's who you are. But it doesn't have to be who you are going to be in the future. Let me read it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I've pointed out the past tense, but let me also just point out the strong words that Paul uses in this. Why is he using such strong language? Why does he go into such depth to point out that we are dead in our sins? He's grabbing our attention, right? He's bringing that forward. He's saying, pay attention to this. This is meaningful. This is actually a foundational truth of our faith. So what I want to do, I want to break this down. I'm going to break this passage down, hit on the different elements. I'm also going to highlight a world lie that goes along with these. Because the world doesn't want you to believe that. And then I'm going to give you another passage from elsewhere in the Bible that goes along with it. Just so you can see how foundational this is. Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout. And I'll try to slow down a little bit, not a lot. Let's go to the first uh, point. I was dead in my sins. This is the phrase in which uh, uh, establishes the passage, right? Everything that comes after this explains what Paul meant by that. Dead people follow the course of this world. You can come up with a lot of different lies associated with this, so I've just come up with a few. I can love the world and God. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The NIV version says, love for the Father is not in him. Be warned. Be careful, right? That old phrase, be in the world, not of it. Easier said than done, right? Dead people love the world. Next one. Dead people follow the evil one. I wish a passage didn't say this, right? Boy, this is a, this is a hard uh, piece to go after. But there's a lot of truth behind it, too. I don't want you to be deceived. I've brought forward three different uh, passages from elsewhere in the Bible to highlight this. This first one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? This next one, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In, the in their case, the God of this world, Satan, the evil one, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Was this passively or actively following the evil one? 
don't know, you can draw your conclusions, right? But he certainly had power to blind the, the minds of uh, the unbelievers. Don't underestimate the enemy. He doesn't have ultimate power. You have to know that too, right? Book of Job explains that pretty well. But he does have power. Don't underestimate him. This next one, I just want to point this one out too. This is uh, Paul talking about the thorn, his famous thorn, right? Was given to me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me. He can do that too, even to the believers. Be careful out there, be warned. Dead people follow the evil one. This next one, dead people live in the passions of the flesh, desires of the body and mind. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And if that weren't enough, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Such were we when we were in the flesh, right? But wait a minute, what about my good works? My good works count in salvation, don't they? I've already touched on that. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Because they're coming from us as sinners. This last one, Romans 3.23. The world lie, I'm not as bad as other people. You might be thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'll go along with those other lies. But this one, are you telling me that I'm as bad as the guy down the street who's done this and this and this? Or am I as bad as Hitler? No, I'm not saying that. What this lie is all about is distracting you and, and making you compare yourself to other people. That's not the point. God does not grade on the curve, does he? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The standard is Jesus Christ, the glory of God. You've never heard anyone said, I'm not as bad as Jesus. I don't even think I want to repeat that, actually. <laughs> but that's a lie because it distracts you from the truth of where our comparison is at. I got an inkling why uh, Michael didn't want to preach this morning. Give it to the rookie, right? A lot of bad news this morning, right? You know, what this foundational truth is all about is what's called total depravity. And I looked at a bunch of different uh, definitions, and they're all technically really good, but they're really long. I like keeping things simple. I'm a simple guy. Because of sin, I was completely unable to please God. Sometimes called total inability. I kind of like that name a little bit uh, better. Totally unable to please God. I was talking with Tim a little bit uh, between services, and I just want to point out, total depravity doesn't mean you're as bad as you can be. That's not the point. We could all be worse, right? We do have morals. Even unbelievers have morals and things that keep them constrained. Total depravity is because of sin. I was completely unable to please God. 
Romans 8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Does this make you uncomfortable? Me too. <laughs> Why? Why are you uncomfortable? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be better if it said you were sick in the trespasses and sins? Or you were injured in the trespasses and sins? For you Princess Bride fans, I was mostly dead <laughs> in my trespasses and sins? Why? Why would we like that better? Because it would just take a little bit of ointment. It would just take a little bit of medicine. It would just take a little bit of rehab. It would just take a little bit of surgery. And we'd be fine. But the fact is we're dead in our sins. We are completely unable to please God. It's a feeling of helplessness, right? It's one of the worst feelings. Helpless. But it all really points back to pride. When you boil it all down, it's all about pride. This is something I've struggled with all my life. Probably always will. But just the pride that goes along with it. We want to do something. We want to help God in this. God doesn't need our help. And we're going to be going deeper to this next week of why it's important that we aren't helping with that. All right, let me turn the tables on you a little bit. Total depravity is a good thing. Point number two, total depravity is a good thing. How am I going to bring joy out of that, right? Point number one, if you don't know you're sick, you're not going to look for a physician. If you don't know you have cancer, you're not going to seek out treatment. If you don't know you're dead, you're not looking for a savior, are you? Total depravity is a good thing. Number two, my good works were dirty rags. What does that make my sins? What does that make the, the bad things I've done? Dirtier rags. They go on the same pile. My, just like my, my good works don't enable me to be saved, my bad works, my sins don't prevent me from being saved either. Stop worrying about the past. Number three, my good works don't count and my sins don't count. This does not depend on me. Salvation does not depend on me. It depends on God. Stop working for it. That's where I was stuck for a while, right? I was working for it. Good works are important. Tim's going to talk about that next week. But they don't have a factor in your salvation. Number four, if it doesn't count on me, then it's not my guarantee. Any DIYers in here, do-it-yourselfers? Right? When you do it yourself, who has the warranty? You do, right? If you hire somebody else to do it, and they do something dumb, they got to fix it. I put a humidifier on my furnace. I've never done that before, right? I took the control panel of the humidifier, and I, I uh, wired it into the high-voltage side of the furnace controls instead of the low voltage. Turned on the furnace and poof, spark, sound, smoke. Man, I had all the senses going, right? And it cost me 150 bucks because I had the warranty on it, right? Your salvation is guaranteed by God, not by you. It's not a DIY project. 
in uh, Matthew chapter 19. I love the story. Jesus uh, is talking to uh, his disciples and, and other people, and he makes this uh, comment. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. And the disciples were blown away, and they said, who then can be saved? It's kind of the same question in this. Who then can be saved? What is this all about, right? Jesus' answer to them is the same for us. If I can find it. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. It's not up to us. But with God, all things are possible. Let's go into Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. Let me read it and I'll come back and pick it apart a little bit. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. Rich in mercy, what is, what is mercy? Forgiveness, compassion, right? You've done something wrong, and it's forgiven. God is rich in mercy. Why did he save us? Because of his great love for us. It's that simple. Even when we were dead in our sins, even when we were racking up the the dirty rags of our good works and our sins. And then he made us alive. I want to stop on the word made. That's not to mean forced. That's the past tense of make, create. This is God's good work to make us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What's grace? Unearned favor, undeserved gift. It's a gift. You don't have a role in a gift other than to accept it, right? I wanted to, uh, what does Paul mean by um, coming alive, being made alive? I want to stay within this passage. So let's take a look at this next piece. Number three, I'm alive by God's grace. I was dead in my sin. I was following the world. I was following the evil one. I was a child of wrath an enemy of God, and I was living in the passions of the flesh and the desires of my mind and body. But who am I in Christ? This goes back to Ephesians 1, right? All of those uh, blessings that we learned about in Ephesians 1, I'm no longer dead, I'm alive in Christ. I'm no longer following the world, I'm chosen by God. I'm no longer following the evil one, but following Jesus. I'm no longer a child of wrath. I'm the adopted child of God. I'm no longer living in passions and, and desires, but I'm living in God's grace. Does that mean that our sin goes away? No. What does it mean then? It means that he gives us the helper in uh, the Holy Spirit to resist that more. But when we do fail, it just goes on the heap of dirty rags too. Living in God's grace, it doesn't unearn our salvation. You know, I don't know about you, but going through the uh, Ephesians chapter 1, I was just blown away, blown away by these huge blessings. I was overwhelmed by them. You know, being in Christ, do you remember when, uh, when Michael held up that jar and what it looked like to be in Christ? When, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus Christ. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Chosen by God from the beginning of time. And then an adopted child of God. We don't deserve that. 
but that's what he gives to us. These are huge elements. And it's hard for me to get my arms around it. But you know what? That's okay. I was looking at this and this passage from, from John 3, 8, and 9. This is what Jesus says about this incredible grace that we've been given. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, come alive. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There is a mystery in this, right? Why or how or how much. And that's okay. I'm glad our God is so big I can't understand him, right? That's actually comforting to me. These are big elements. Let me uh, close uh, with this illustration that helped me to understand uh, the greatness of God's grace, but also why it's hard for me to understand, because it's not of this world is the bottom line of this. Pretend you're going off to college and you got your eyes on a degree. You want this degree badly. You've got, you count it uh, great, with great value. This is something that you need to have. And you're going to work for it, right? So you get into your classes and you're working hard. You are going through it and you're doing everything you can. End of the first semester, you fail. Every class, big time. All right, I'm going to double down. Second semester comes, I'm going to work twice as hard. I'm going to do everything I can because I want this degree. Same result, failure. You've failed in a complete year of college. Now you realize, I can't get the degree with all this failure on my record. So you go to the president of the university, the person of authority, you say, I really want this degree. I will do whatever it takes to get this, but I can't get it with all this failure. Can you wipe that away? And he agrees. I'll wipe that away. That's mercy, right? Taking away of the failure. We see that occasionally, not enough, but we see that occasionally in this world. It's a little easier to understand for me. Now, what if that president said, you know what? Not only am I going to wipe that away, I'm going to give you the degree. I have the authority. I'm going to sign off. Here's your diploma. You have the degree too. If you're like me, you're saying, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. And you're going to give that to me? We don't see that in this world. That's got like God's grace. God's mercy wipes our sins away, but that just brings us to neutral with God. We have no sin, but we have no righteousness either. God's grace gives us the righteousness too, the righteousness of Jesus Christ as well. That's God's grace. It's amazing. It's huge. It's like the wind. We don't fully understand it, but by faith we accept it. Total depravity. To the extent we understand we're unable to please God is the limiting factor to the extent we're going to understand God's love, God's grace, even God's mercy. The more we understand how we are completely unable to save ourselves, the more we understand how great our God is, how great his love is for us, how great his grace is. I am so thankful that uh, next week we're going to be going further into this passage and we're going to talk about grace more 
and faith and good works and how those three things come together. It's fantastic the way the Lord has done this. Let's close in prayer. Father, what a joy to open up your word today. What a joy to seek out your truth about our sin and our past. What a joy to move a little further away from knowing and a little closer to understanding. Understanding the depths of our depravity, understanding the greatness of our grace. Father, thank you that our salvation does not depend on us to earn or to lose. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ, our Savior, who was willing to die on a cross, that we could be made alive in him, that we could be transformed from your enemy into your child. It's by your grace alone that we are made alive. It's in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.